Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Mark. I'm joined by James. How's it going, James? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Um, and we have a bit of a different episode this week. Uh, obviously, we spend a large amount of our time talking about the wheelchair game, but we thought we'd bring you something different. We are joined today by a uh, shooting coach and, for my money, the best shooter I've ever seen and ever will see, Dave Hopler. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. No Thank pressure you so much that that he gave you, right? <laughs> no, none at all, right? Hmm. I wanted to keep it short because I could have gone through world record holder for NBA corner threes with one ball, one rebound or one minute. I could have said, I could have brought percentages out. Um, I could have listed that you, I'm doing it now anyway. Uh, I could have listed <laughs> that you've worked for the Raptors, the Pistons and the Knicks. Um, but yeah, we'll get to all that. So Normally when we start these podcasts, and it'll be no different here, we ask anyone who's with us, how did you find the game of basketball? Where where do you come from And for the people listening, and how did you get involved? I grew up in a small town in New Jersey called Keyport, and uh, it was a real small town, so we played the three major sports in, a, in the States, baseball, basketball, and football, and uh, until I moved to Baltimore, basketball is my least favorite sport. I, I love baseball. Willie Mays was my favorite athlete of all time. And then uh, I moved into a big city uh, coming from a small town in Keyport. And, uh, you know, there's nobody at the baseball field in the summer or anything, but there's always somebody at the YMCA. So that's when I started immersing myself with basketball and then uh, found out you know, there's so many things I could do on my own to get better. And being a new kid in a new city, you know, not having a lot of friends, I just spent a lot of time in the gym, uh, you know, at the YMCA by myself. Do you think being on your own kind of lent, led itself to being someone who primarily coaches an individual skill within a team sport nowadays? Like you're a shooting coach. Does that right. do you think that started from being in a gym on your own, getting shots up? Um, I think there's some correlation there, James. Um, you know, I just did it because, uh, you know, I, I, I fell in love with the game and there was always something I could work on. So, you know, uh, then, uh, you know, I evolved into being a, a workout uh, player development slash shooting coach into the NBA. And for years, uh, you know, after I had finished playing over in Ireland, I was coaching at a junior college in Baltimore for a couple of years. And then I, I went out on my own and started doing individual uh, workouts. It wasn't just shooting, it was passing, you know, uh, you know, in ball handling and everything. So uh, it might be, I never really, uh, really thought of it that way, but that could be, uh, you know, something I should look into and think about a little bit more. That's a great question. So just to, we're probably going to, in the early stage, we kind of jump around the whole timeline a little bit and then we'll, we'll drill down on any nuggets you drop us. But um well, you mentioned there coming back and coaching at the junior college and then kind of working your way into the NBA skills coach side of things. How does, what's the route into being picked up into it? Because there's obviously very few NBA coaching positions of any kind available on the face of the earth. What's the route of, you know, how do you have to get noticed to get picked up into a role like that? Well, uh, I didn't get hired my first full-time job till I was 48 years old. And when I had finished playing basketball overseas, I had sent, you know, my resume out and I sent videotapes of me working guys out and all that. And I, you know, I got like two, two letters back, one from, uh, 
Doug Moe, who was coaching the Nuggets, and another one from Mike Schuler, who was the coach of the L.A. Clippers. You know, it's basically thanks, but no thanks. We have positions. So, I mean, that's when I really wanted to, you know, get involved in it. And then uh, how I got hired in the NBA was by accident. My first gig was with the Sonics. Uh, it was a as a, a consultant. I was speaking at a camp at University of Central Florida, and I always tell people, they never know who's watching you. And George Carl saw me speak and he saw me working guys out and he brought me out to Seattle as a consultant. So um, there's no I don't know, you know, what road people should take, because now, I mean, uh, Utah Jazz have 11 assistant coaches. I don't know what I guess every guy has his own personal assistant or something. So it went from like, you know, Red Orbach never had an assistant to now, uh, you know, there's like 11 people and. It's just gone crazy, you know, and with the analytics and everything. But I don't know which, uh, you know, how, you know, if there's any specific one way you get there. I mean, uh, you know, there's just, uh, you know, so many different avenues that people have taken. A lot of kids uh, have been, uh, you know, like have started out as uh, interns. Then they've worked as uh, video coordinators and from yeah. video coordinators onto the court. Like, you know, Eric Spolster has been with Miami's organization for years and he started out as a video guy. Yeah. So sure. you know, into the head position. And then uh, when I was in Detroit, a uh, good friend of mine, uh, Jordan Brink, he's now, you know, behind the bench and he was a video guy at first. He was like, uh, you know, second in line in the video and he just keep kept moving up and now he's, you know, behind the bench, but he's on the court and so forth. So I don't know if there's any, you know, specific one way you get into it and so forth. It's just a, a matter of, uh, you know, staying with it. And, you know, a lot of guys have uh, gone through the college route to the NBA and so forth. And uh, others have, you know, just, uh, you know, started out like, uh, you know, as interns, I know uh, the Dallas Mavericks, they have like a whole, big thing they bring in like 10 interns you know uh during the season and and then if, if they're doing a great job they get them uh you know keep them within the organization or tell them about other people to other teams oh that's cool didn't help chris taps pozingas then <laughs> no no he's uh he's uh thanks now in washington now yeah, sure. i'm actually yeah, he's got I'm, a bum i'm going to a wizards game in a couple of weeks now and I, that's the thing i'm most intrigued is i get to see Porzingis walk around in real life and it's like yeah he's a big guy mean? he's a big guy man he really is uh what when do you when are you going there do you know uh so i will be at that game on the 14th of march so yeah it's like five days now that's actually way way sooner than uh, I uh, so I'm going to be in San Francisco. I'm going to Warriors game. So oh, okay, to the, right. the visiting team. So yeah, if there's two guys who don't need your help, it's I'm probably going to be watching them in Steph and Clay right there. Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah. If they just if they just read the Dave Hopler, you know that this is how you do it, cheat sheet kind of thing. Hmm. Yeah, they're both great shooters. I've had the opportunity. Uh, Clay was a former camper years ago, and I've had the opportunity to do uh, a promotional thing with Steph. They're, they're not only great shooters, but they're great, great people. Awesome. That's that's cool. When you when you saw Ke uh, Clay as a young kid, could you tell like was he already lights out at that age? Or oh yeah, no, he was. Uh, this was in high school, and um, I had done a, a clinic a camp uh, at. Artesia High School and like it was funny like you know back then uh you know James Harden had gone to Artesia and stuff there were some really you know great young players there coming up through that camp and everything but uh you know Clay uh you know comes from a good uh good family tree there you know and his brother actually uh Michael 
he was uh, with me when I was with the Knicks. Uh, he didn't stick with us for, you know, he was there through training camp and everything, but he didn't, he didn't stick with us. He, he bounced around with a couple of teams. I don't think he stayed very long in the league. I believe he went overseas to play. Oh, awesome. It's the family trees, man. It's the same, it's the same for Steph as well, right? It's the, the thing. Yeah, I- Steph and, and, and Steph. And then, yeah. uh, you know, you, you look at, I mean, in today's NBA, there are a number of, uh, you know, uh, guys now that their kids are playing. I happened to coach Timmy Hardaway and then I was an assistant with Tim Hardaway in Detroit. And, uh, it was funny. Um, Timmy used to live in the same building as uh, my wife and daughter and I, when I was in New York. So when I got to Detroit as an assistant, I said, this is Timmy's dad. And so I took my daughter into the office and showed him, uh, clips of, of Tim Hardaway playing, you know, with the, the crossover and my daughter goes, man, he was really good, but they wore some short shorts back then. Oh, yeah. and, they're uh, coming back but, in. They're yeah, no, they, they are. They definitely are. And then, uh, you know, like you look at, you know, like Kenyon Martin's son is in the NBA, uh, yeah. you know, Gary Payton. I mean, there's a lot of uh, former, uh, you know, NBA players now that their kids are growing up in there that are quite, quite good players and so forth. So it's interesting to see see it evolve you know the kids have grown up and being around the game and everything and I know even like when I was in New York you know Carmelo's kid and Amari's kids were always you know at the practice facility and everything so and they're you know they're still young but uh, from what I hear they're pretty good players as well yeah I always wonder if Amari's kid was around in the practice facility more than Amari was but (laughs) (laughs) Amari uh, actually when I was with the Knicks you know he he was uh you know, he was pretty banged up. We had a few guys, you know, Rashid Wallace was, uh, you know, always, uh, he was there every day, but, you know, Rashid had to do a lot of stuff because he had a stress fracture. So we had, he had to do more treatment than actually practice it. But what a, what a uh, great player and uh, great guy Rashid is. And like, you know, we got him like, oh no, Rashid Wallace, this is going to be a nightmare. But everyone you talk to, you ask him what type of teammate Rashid was. And they'll tell you, he's one of the best teammates they ever had. And from a coaching standpoint, he was always vocal. Like, you know, if guys weren't talking, he would jump on, you know, about being, uh, you know, being vocal. And we would always know when he walked in the gym, because all of a sudden the guy started talking more, you know, he said, Oh, Rashid must be done with his rehab because it's getting louder in the gym. One of those culture setter guys. I, I like that. Yeah. Um, sorry, just to pull it way back before the NBA stuff, this is purely self-indulgence. Uh, I know you had a long time playing in Ireland. Uh, a little, get a little bit in in Belfast, I believe. Can you tell me how you ended up playing in Ireland? This is for me. This is not for anyone listening. I just, uh, I just want to hear you talk about it. Well, it's it's a great story. I, uh, you know, I've had finished college and I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I wanted to continue playing, so uh, I had gone down to Venezuela and played for a little bit in Valencia, and then uh, I was. Uh, working at a basketball camp and um, Pat Knapp, who's a good friend of Dan Durkin and Dan was already over coaching at St. Gauls in Belfast. And he was working for an organization called the peace people. And uh, he wanted to bring over an American guard. And uh, so, uh, cause they had, you know, we had, had pretty nice sized team for Ireland. We had, you know, big Brendy rush, John Kennedy, Rocky. So we had pretty big front line. So, uh, Dan wanted to bring a guard over, so we brought over John Rush as a forward, who John was about 6'7", 6'6", 6'7", my first year, and then he brought me over. And uh, so, uh, you know, everyone's like, uh, you're going over there, oh, what, aren't you worried about the troubles and all this stuff? And I said, well, I 
I felt safer there than I did in the streets of Baltimore. But uh, so uh, I went over and, and I and I loved it. I mean, I had I had a great time. And, uh, you know, after the first year, you know, John, John Rush, he just went over for a year and then we we brought over Boo Williams and everything. But a uh, funny story is uh, John was from Philadelphia. So I left Baltimore to go up to Philly and we were flying from Philadelphia to Shannon. So uh, I had never met John, you know, just spoke to him on the phone and everything. And uh, so we connected. And uh, so I took the train from Baltimore to Philadelphia. Uh, John's parents uh, took us to the airport. We flew into Shannon and John just so happened to have a friend in Shannon who was from Philadelphia. And he married an Irish girl and she happened to be nine months pregnant when we got to their house and like, you know, we we're like, hey, can we help you? And like, she's like, I can do it. An Irish woman, like in America, you're nine months, you know, you're afraid the woman can do anything. You know, you're trying to help. She's like, no, I can do this. And she was cooking. We were only there for a night. But uh, so now we're going to go from from Shannon up to Dublin. And John Kennedy and Leo McCullough are going to pick us up in Dublin at some restaurant. So how do you think we go from Shannon to Dublin? We're in a lorry, a coal lorry. We Our bags were thrown in the back and we're in a truck going up to Dublin. So that was, uh, that's how I got up to Dublin. And then uh, John and Leo, we had a bite to eat. They took us right to Ulster Polytech for our first practice. So, you know, and uh, I love that story. And I was like, well, I mean, could you imagine an NBA guy like, you know, like, what are you out of your mind? I'm, I'm not flying first class. I'm, you put me in, a, I'm in a coal truck. What is this, you know? But, yeah. Uh, that's, you know, it's part of the mystique and everything. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it in for uh, anything, you know? Oh yeah. What you, what, what you, what you lost in first class flights, you gained in stories for sure. That's Just like it. you look at James Harden getting off his own private jet landing right. in Philly the other week and having the team owner greet him straight off the plane with cameras and a limo and everything. And you and yeah. a cool or a different levels, different times. <laughs> That's it. No, but uh, you know, like I said, it's uh you know, it, it's just, you know, great guy. Like I said, I, I enjoyed every moment I was in Ireland. That's why I continue to go back. always tell people I'm Irish now, you know? <laughs> yeah. That was the first place I saw you. I don't know if you remember, you did a coaching clinic, a shooting clinic in Andy, Andy Town Leisure Center in about, mm-hmm. I would say, 2011 or 12. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I had, I, I didn't know who you were at this point. And uh, Jason Kennedy, a guy who was coaching me in my wheelchair basketball club, was like, you have to go see this guy. I was young, sort of developing. And it wasn't even, hey, you should go see this guy. He was like, you're going. Yeah. (laughs) It's this much. And I think he basically, he was coaching our premier division, like Uh wheelchair basketball team. And I think he made all five starters go and watch. Um, And I just remember being like, Okay, we'll see what's happening. And it's the story I tell people when I talk about you. And I remember sitting, do, you were doing your, you're under the basket, one hand form shooting. Right. And I was like, okay, okay, talking through the process of uh, how you teach guys to shoot. And I just remember you kept taking a step back and a step back mm-hmm. and a step back. Right. And I was like, you're going to have to stop taking a step back at some point. <laughs> <laughs> I remember yeah. by the end of the by the end of the night, I was like, "Oh my goodness!" And you still hadn't missed. But right. yeah, so that was that was my first experience meeting you. And then a couple of years in between, then I think it was you came back and we did a little work in up in 
University of Ulster in Jordan's time. Right. And then yeah. again at the Belfast Classic. So Yeah, yeah. So but, yeah, man. I see where they're gonna be over uh they're going over to uh the O2 arena uh next year. Oh, for real? Kentucky, I guess Kentucky, Michigan, Marist, and Maine, I believe, are the teams. Yeah. Oh, yes, they're in Dublin, aren't they? They're going well, they're going over to this one's going to be at the in uh London. Oh, yeah, they're doing one in London. Because and then... they're supposed to do Dublin this year, but oh, yes, still with the, the COVID stuff that would because I think Notre Dame was supposed to come over to Dublin this year. I know oh, what did that that would have been crazy, you know. That's so. There's a real pipeline here of um, American basketball to Belfast or to Ireland that I never knew about. This is yeah, no, it's yeah. Uh, every but, uh, every team in Ireland has two exports, I think, and it's normally just like, "Hey, we're small Irish guys, can we get some size?" But that's why I find it so interesting that they ended up with a guard. <laughs> right, right. Actually, uh, there's been there's been you know a, f- a few guards that they've had you know over. You know, uh, Danny Trant, you know, God rest his soul. He passed away in 9-11, you know, and uh, there's there's been there's been a few smaller guys. And then, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of guys, you know, over, you know, over to England playing as well. Sure. You know, yeah, and, that, uh, that kind of that was what I was going to ask you about next thing, because I so I'm a little bit of a Nick Nurse uh, disciple. ever. Yeah. Since. I actually read his book Rapture. I mean, Nick's a great coach, and he's, yeah. you, know, um, you talk about he didn't. You talk about you know you're asking about how to get to the NBA. You yeah. know, I'm sure you wouldn't want it. Most people wouldn't go Nick Nurse's route. You know, player coach in Derby in England. Yeah, this is exactly what I was going to ask you about because your path and his, from what I remember, his book is kind of eerily similar because he mm-hmm. was over to he came over to Derby first, right, and he was player coach and. Mm-hmm. And he was back to the States and he just, I remember reading his book, he put flyers on people's cars, advertising himself as a shooting coach before, right, be- sure. before becoming a head coach. So in terms of kind of both yourself and what he talks about in that book, the similarities of kind of smaller, less physically imposing guard leaning on kind of shooting as a key skill and then knowledge of the game to move into coaching. Do you think that's a product of kind of growing up and learning the game from not as athletic of a standpoint as the people you're going up against? Yeah. I mean, if you're not athletic, you have to be able to do other things. I mean, and and it's vice versa. I mean, you look at all these athletic guys and all of a sudden once they lose a step or they can't jump as high, they're out of the league. I mean, and I use a, perfect example was Darius Miles. I mean, uh, used to be with the Clippers and every time he'd dunk him and Q would do like the horns. And then, I mean, his Jersey was like one of the most popular jerseys in the NBA. And all of a sudden he had a knee injury and he's gone. And then, you know, you look at Michael Jordan still averaging 20 a game at 40 years old. Why was he doing that? He wasn't heir of Jordan anymore, but he was fundamentally sound and the fundamentals never go out of style. That's why if you get a, you know, a great athlete, who was, you know, like, you know, I, you use Kobe and Michael Jordan and their work ethic and paying attention to detail, fundamentally sound. That's the product you have. I mean, and, you know, you get other guys that are athletic as can be, they can't shoot. Well, I don't need to shoot because I can get to the basket. Well, now everyone needs to shoot because everyone just throws threes up all day long, you know? And um, like I say, if Jabbar was playing today, he'd probably be coming off the bench, the poor guy, you know, but he, (laughs) He was so good. He probably hit a hook shot from three point range, you know, but uh, 
you know, it's, uh, you know, it's funny though, like when I grew up and also like with coach nurse, you know, we grew up, you know, you went to basketball camp and you learned to play the game the right way. Now everybody, the game is being taught, especially in America. I mean, everything's off the dribble. You, everyone's dribbling 9 million times. Not every player has that ability to do that, nor will the coach let them do that, you know? But that's the way these trainers train guys. Like, okay, you're going to be Kyrie Irving. Well, guess what? There's one Kyrie Irving, you know? And if you go through the NBA, there's only a handful of guys where they really let let go crazy with the ball. You know, you got Steph, you got Damon Lillard, you got Harden, you know, uh, Jean Morant. You don't have, you know, not everybody's going to be, you know, doing 9 million dribbles before they make a pass or a shot. That's the way these trainers train. They don't train kids how to play without the basketball. And, you know, you have the ball out of your hands, you know, a lot more than you have it in your hands. So it's uh, different. But, like, you know, I was fortunate to have good coaching and, like, going to camps. I mean, the game's taught. But nowadays, you know, in America, these kids, some kids play 100 basketball games in the summertime. Yeah. So they're not going to they're not going to camps. They're going to these AAU tournaments every, and they're in, even in the middle of the week now. So yeah. you know, and they play. And if the kids say I'm tired, I don't know how they can be tired because you only play 16 minute running time. And you know, if the games are, I mean, so how many shots are you going to get in a 32 minute game running time? You know, and then if you lose, okay, we lost at 11, so we're going to play at five o'clock. But we lost again. We play at eight tomorrow morning, and so when you lose, you still get to play, you still got to play four games, you know, it's like, so they become numb to losing. Like back when I was a kid, you played against older people at the park. And if you lost, you had to sit for like four hours, you know, you didn't want to sit, you know, it's, and uh, so you played for something. And like, now it's just like, or just so fundamentally important. And like I said, great, great athletes now. I mean, at the athleticism that the players display is off the charts, but fundamentally they're terrible. I mean, I was listening to a, podcast with rick barry the other day he's like you know they they can't dribble without carrying the ball and they're allowed 15 steps like you know and he's like you know what what have we done we've let this game get out of hand and you know if you went and called it the way it was the players would adjust but if i can carry the ball why not if if i can get away with it why not do it if i can take an extra step why not do it of course uh, you know it's like uh you, you, know, you, men- you mentioned something there that I was just going to, this is actually later on in our, our list of things to bring up, but I think this segues us into the nice seg- into the next segment fairly nicely. You mentioned these kind of super athletes and my, my, um, my kind of point of shame that I'll admit to at this point is that I was probably the most excited about Justice Winslow appearing in the NBA of anybody on planet Earth. And then I was excited again when he went to Memphis and then I, I'd given up by the time he went to Clippers. But I, yeah, his whole thing was that he could never shoot. And we've had right. it kind of again with Isaac Okoro recently. And I think like Scotty Barnes, who's just come in this year, but looks yeah. pretty promising with your kind of, with your eye for this stuff. Can you look at these athletic guys who've never, like you say, they've always lived by the, well, I can get to the basket, so I'll work on that and I'll sort my shooting out later or never. Can you kind of tell from these guys' form whether this stuff is salvageable or do you look at some guys like Justice Winslow and be like, that's probably at the point of no return? No, anyone can become a better shooter. I mean, look look at what uh, Ball did. Look what Lonzo Ball did. I mean, that ball was on the left side of his head. I mean, I had, I had, I mean, he had actually his head was tilted because he couldn't see the basket. I mean, he's blind. Might as well put a blind, but now he's over to the right side. I mean, 
he did that after being in the league for a few years. And I mean, it, it has to be, the player has to want to get better. That's number one, you know, and then they have, they have to put the time in and, and uh, you know, he's done a great job and actually he's shooting over 40% from three, but he, he got hurt and stuff. But uh, you know, it was funny, like last year, uh, so last year with the Pelicans, you know, he's saying Zion, Zion needs more shooters. Only has two shooters, Ingram and Ball. I mean, how about that for a compliment yeah. from Stan Van Gundy? And like I said, you got to want to do it. I mean, you talked about guys wanting to. We, we had Stanley Johnson, who was a lottery pick in in uh, Detroit. And he's been like with four or five teams as well. Him and Winslow were like in the same draft class. And they were both guys that were big in high school. You know, and and they had big bodies so they could get to the basket. When it, now you get to the NBA, everyone's you know you got men, you know guys just as big, if not bigger and stronger and quicker, and haven't developed the shot. So Stanley's been like he was with us in Detroit, then he went to Memphis or New no New Orleans, then to Toronto, then Chicago. Now he's with the Lakers, and it's like you know you got to learn to shoot the ball, especially in this day and age. If you can't make a shot, you're very limited what you do. I mean. You know, you got seven footers out there. I mean, look at the Lopez out. You know, everyone's got to be able to shoot the three now to spread the floor out. Yeah. And it's something you can get better at if you work at it. For sure. I think a lot of people see big stretching the floor now and everyone thinks the the game was phasing out seven footers. And I think that's sort of a, I think that's a misdiagnosis. I think the game was phasing out people who couldn't play basketball and were only. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's football. true. I mean, like, you, you know, look at the, the look at the uh, MVPs. I mean, you know, yeah, be honest who look what he can do with seven. Look at Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant's a seven footer. Yeah. I mean, you know, then you got, you know, the Joker and Embiid. I mean, yeah, you know, one and two in the MVP race this year. Yeah, like, yeah. Both seven I mean, footers, but they can both shoot the ball. And, yeah. And another, you know, another thing, too. I mean, like there's another perfect example of, uh, you know, you look at the game and the development in with the foreign players as opposed to the American game. I mean, MVPs the last few years all been foreigners. The all NBA team, you know, had uh, three uh you know, far as Pascal Siakam was most improved. I mean, I think the one year we got Lou Williams got the sixth man at a year award, you know, I mean, you know, you had Doncic was rookie. The, I mean, it was just crazy, but like, and then all the Canadians, the Canadians have a number of players in the league yeah. and they're all, they're all doing well, but in America, we're, we're doing a terrible job of, uh, you know, developing the, the player, you know? That's, that's really interesting. I think um, this, I guess this kind of moves us on to, we're going to talk a little bit about your kind of your approach to things as a shooting coach. And it's interesting. You say that the Americans are doing, doing a terrible job of this stuff. <laughs> Hopefully we don't put you on the spot here. No, no problem at all. But um, so this is, this is a question I kind of, when I was thinking about what we were going to chat to you about, this is one thing that I'd never really considered before, but you mentioned yourself as kind of a shooting and offensive skills coach initially. And it kind of struck me that shooting is about the one skill in the whole game that has essentially dedicated coaches. You know, you don't you don't have a, a this is how you take a charge coach, for instance. Right. I'd say Miami probably do, knowing Miami. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dallas, Dallas has uh, Sham God, God Sham God is ball handling coach. Yeah. Okay. Ex- uh, exception to the rule there, but um, yeah, no, that's it with them. They don't need that. They've got one guy who has the ball all the time and he's right. fine. like, he doesn't need help. <laughs> Sorry, Mark, go on. That's fine. So yeah, that, that was going to be kind of the base of this first question was 
Why do you think it is that obviously shooting is the most fundamental skill in basketball because it doesn't matter what offense you run if you don't have guys who can throw the ball in the hole. But do you think shooting has been prioritized correctly in having dedicated coaches or do you think it's a matter of time until other skills catch up to that? Well, surprisingly enough, not every team has a shooting coach, which, you know, blows, blows me away and stuff. And, uh, number well, two with well, that opportunities for you though. So that, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you know, um, and then, you know, there's a lot of guys that, you know, coaches, they're like, uh, well, that's the way he shoots. You can't change it. A lot of coaches, you know, have that mindset. Well, that's just the way he shoots. And it's like, well, you can get better at something. I mean, and you look at like baseball, you got a pitching coach, you got a batting coach, football, American football, you got a coach for everything. You got special teams, running back, wide receiver, offensive line, defensive line, kick. I mean, it's just crazy. And then basketball, you got all these coaches, but nobody's a shooting coach. You know, now everyone's into the analytics and everything. And, uh, you know, it's like, and I understand the numbers. I mean, you know, but, uh, you know, that's all these analytics guys work, look at is the numbers like 33% from three is equal to 50% from two. Because if I go two for six, that's six points. You got to go three for six inside the three. I understand all the numbers, but if you have a 16.7% shooter shooting threes, he ain't going to make 33% of those shots. You know, it's like, you know, it's who's shooting it. And and then like the game has like no time and score anymore. I mean, there's no such thing as a bad shot anymore. It's like, just go down, jack it up. And, you know, if it goes in, you know, hooray, if not, well. But uh, to get back, like you said, it's odd that, you know, every team doesn't have a shooting coach. And it's amazing how many players have their quote unquote skills trainers that they work with in the offseason. And most of them, guess what they do? I'm sure you guys watched it on YouTube and also they're doing nine million dribbling drills. Does the guy ever shoot the ball? I mean, you know, and that guy's not going to have a clear out. He's got to. And like I said. The simplest things in the world to do, also the simplest things in the world not to do. Kids don't do one-hand form shooting. They want to run right to the three-point line. Thank God there's not a four-point line. You know, he'd be run out there. And, you know, as great as Steph is, he's ruined the game, man, because every kid steps in the gym. No, I'm telling yeah, you. No, you no, no. States, and you'll see every kid trying to do a step-back 40-footer. They can't make a free throw, but they're going to try to shoot a 40-footer. Yeah. I think that's the thing as well, though, because, like, that kids missing out the fact that I'm sure Steph's practice habits are absolutely oh, incredible. Like and people kind of misdiagnose that yeah. and they think they see the they see the end product, but they sure, don't. They don't, like, see, they don't see what's on. And I saw an interesting thing. Um, it was an interview with Michael Jordan uh, a couple of weeks ago, and Michael Jordan said he's so glad he didn't grow up in this era because you wouldn't have been able to see what I can do. Yeah, you know he would have probably been jacking threes up. You know, I mean. Yeah. You know, Air Jordan would be, you know, three Jordan or something, you know, letting it fly. Yeah. I mean, it's just a, you know, generational thing. And that's what that's what all these kids practice. I mean, I, I do a lot of workout with individuals and these kids like they can't make they can't make a 15 footer. They run out to the three. And I'm like, you if you can't make it from 15, you're not going to make it from 19, nine or 23, nine. It's like it doesn't work that way. You got to be able to hit the mid range. And whenever a game's on the line, right, one point game. What does that player try to do? High pick and roll, elbow jump shot. Yeah. yeah. Everybody, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. It's a nobody's doing a sidestep three to try to win the game. It's like that, you're trying to run a high pick and roll 
you know, if you can get all the way to the basket, get to the basket. But if not, it's a 15 footer. So I said, you still have to be able to make that, you know, and it's, it's just really difficult. And you see these kids, I mean, they just jack it up. And uh, I went to a high school game a couple of weeks ago. It was, it was 39, 18 at the half. I left at halftime because the team had 18, they made three threes and they banked them all in. So they didn't even mean to do that. So it's like, I'm like, I can't watch this. I mean, I can't watch bad basketball. So that's, that's something me and Mark have spoken about when we hear people talk about the analytics of three being more than two. And that plays out over games and over seasons. But like we talk about Chris Paul, having Chris Paul or someone like that in a playoff series when it's okay, you're down one, like, Mm-hmm. The analytics don't bear out if the sample size is you need one shot and it needs to. Right. Yeah. That's that's I'll... that's Chris Paul coming off a pick and roll to the left, coming mm-hmm. off it right, going to the elbow and making that shot yeah. at like sixty five percent. So yeah. <laughs> there you go. Like winning by two doesn't help you there. But yeah, one thing about uh, you were talking about every NBA team not having a shooting coach. Sorry to go backwards, but um, I find it really interesting. I think that feeds into why a lot of guys get drafted because they're six foot eight and athletic. Because I always remember Greg Popovich talking about drafting Kawhi Leonard. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, they, sorry, they traded for him. Um, he think he was drafted 16th. And when they were asked why he did it, they got rid of George Hill, who was one of Pop's favorite players. And he said, ah, we needed a bit of size at the forward spots. Yeah. Like that guy couldn't shoot the ball. No, and, and people they- think they can pull a guy in. And they, and they, they go, hey, have... I can teach him to shoot, but like the Spurs employ Chip England, like that's yeah. different. If you don't have a guy to like push the skills forward. And the funny thing is, Chip's a good friend of mine. He he's done a great job. And uh, when they drafted Kawhi, they, that season was the uh, strike. There was a strike got happening. Yeah. And Ka- Kawhi asked Chip right before I think it was July first. You know, so they had him for what a week beforehand, before yeah, from the draft till. That and uh, they said Kawhi said to Chip, write down what I need to do, and I'll do it. You know, and it's most guys that they're not asking you to do anything. I mean, that's like you know what what made Kobe so special. Kobe would do whatever you told them to do, and he'd do it. Made sure he mastered it and perfected it. You know, before he'd go on to the next thing. You know, he he mastered the simple. You know, he never got bored with the basics or the fundamentals. Nice. Um, we're gonna, we're just going to pivot back a little bit because James mentioned being at one of your camps, uh, mm-hmm. when he first encountered you and this kind of t- ties the, these two topics we've been talking about together, but we were kind of interested in what you teach at your camps where you're, um, like catering to an audience of, you know, a hundred plus people or however many it may be mm-hmm. versus what your approach is when you do kind of one-to-one work with, you know, individual athletes and work on their form or whatever else. So how, what's the difference in approaching those two things? Um, When I'm speaking like in front of a large group, I'm sort of, it's more of a motivational, uh, inspirational talk. I talk about, you know, my journey as, you know, being on JV as a junior. I tell people when you're on JV as a junior, you suck. It's like the B, B team, you know, and it's against the law in 32 states. But by the time I was a senior, I was one of the best players in Baltimore City. And, you know, I didn't quit and I didn't go to my mother and, you know, she didn't have me transfer to 10 different schools and all that. She just said, you know, you got to work harder. And then uh, I went to camp that summer and somebody told me, you know, you need to keep track of your shots. I'm like, you do? I thought I was the only kid in the world not doing it. Turned out I was the only kid in the world doing it. 
but by keeping track of my shots, I saw myself get better. And when I saw myself getting better, my confidence grew. Confidence led to success. Success leads to confidence. It's an ongoing cycle. Um, and then like, but why work out, uh, you know, when I'm speaking, I still, you know, start two feet from the basket. You know, I start with one hand form shooting. Then I add my other hand. A lot of kids call it a guide hand. And I said, well, what does the guide hand do? And they said, it guides the ball into the hoop. I said, I wish that was the case. I'd never have to practice. I said, the way you shoot, you should call it a misguide hand because it doesn't guide the ball in. So then some coaches called an offhand. And I said, you know, I'm all about being positive. I said, you don't want your shot to be off. Then other coaches called a non-shooting hand, another negative term. If you're a non-shooter, you can't shoot. So I called a balance hand because its job is to balance the ball, lift the ball. So after I've done one hand form shooting, I come and add the balance hand. And then we start uh, into straight shots, you know, one, two steps straight on. Then we go up the dribble with the left hand, right hand, so forth. Then we start moving left to right, right to left. So as I demonstrate all that, that's the same format that I have when I'm working individually with like when I watch kids the first thing I do is an observation period I want to see what they can do and you know it's helpful if they send video before I even have a chance to look at them so I have a feel for what I'm going to work with the player and uh, then we get in there and I you know videotape again and watch what they do and then we break it down and once I'm with the player you know we we start out just like a little baby I call the one hand form shooting the crawling stage you know that uh, form shooting and they had the balance hand and then we would just work, you know, at the free throw line, which is our, our uh, walking stage and then game shots, game spots, game speed, you know, or running, I call it, you know, when, when the baby can run now as you develop, but uh, we don't come right into the gym and start launching three pointers. So everything is just the progression, you know? And like I tell people, you can't make a shot from two feet away, stationary, you're not going to be able to make a shot 25 feet on the move with a, with a defender, with a hand in your face, you know? So you got to, you got to master the basics and build from there. But so many people skip those steps. Oh, I don't need to do one hand form shoot. You know, I don't need to, you know, but that I don't shoot every day, but every day that I shoot, I do my form shooting. And I tell people that's why I can do this other shooting because I do that. And when you start two feet from the basket, you have to finish with your elbow above your eyebrow. You have to shoot the ball up. And if I start two feet and uh, two and a half feet out, I can now have a low release point and my shots will rattle in and out. But if you're two feet away, you have to shoot the ball up and in. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny. One of the things that I, I do with kids that have trouble, you know, shooting the ball up is I put them in a chair in front of the basket. Now you have to shoot the ball up and in. I mean, you know, James, you would know better than me, but, you you know, playing in a, in a wheelchair. And I know when I was in it at Ulster Poly, you have to finish with your elbow above your eyebrow. You can't shoot the ball flat out. I mean, you have to get the ball up in the air, correct? Oh, for sure. Um, me and Mark are both troubled wheelchair basketball non-shooters. So <laughs> we, ha we have the experience here. But yeah, man, you got to get that's the big thing that people I think when they just sit in a chair and try it for the first time struggle with to get lift on their shots and right right there's a little bit too much and a lot of obviously at the highest level of this sport people are super strong and super athletes so no one has any trouble getting any lift if they shoot the ball right but that is a massive like for kids especially there's so many kids that they come in and they get sick of playing when they're when they're first starting because they just can't reach the hoop like right right ball's too and, big um, hoops too far away and that's where right. obviously smaller ball lower rim comes in but 
Yeah, for sure. That's that's a massive part. And I remember so, you telling me that. Yeah. So, I mean, so that's a great thing I, I, I want to ask you. So you guys have you have lower baskets for the younger kids, too, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. 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 That's we our problem play. in America. We we have a kid. My daughter played, you know, she she's terrible, but she tried playing. <laughs> she's she was 10. No, she was. And like one girl could reach the basket on her team at 10 years old. She's shooting at the same, you know, naturally the ball's a little bit smaller to have the, the girls ball, but they're shooting, you know, she's shooting from the foul line the same way LeBron James does. She's 10 years old. My daughter, lucky, she's they should give her a point if she could hit the backboard or the rim for crying out loud. And everywhere else that I've been, I've been all over the world. They lower the hoops for the kids, you know, then as they get older, they raise them and baseball in this country, everywhere. It's the same. Every state you go to every city, every town, it starts off with T-ball where the baseball stands on a T so the kid can hit. It's not even moving. It's on a T and he hits it. Then they progress to like a coach pitches like underhand. Basically the coach hits the bat if the kid's really bad, you know, and yeah. then they play then they play little league baseball with the pitcher's mounds closer and the bases are closer. But in basketball, the kids are 10. They're playing on 10 foot hoops. They're shooting the three point shot from, you know, and even when they do the things at halftime of our games or before, after they go out to the NBA three and try to shoot the ball. And then yeah, you and wonder shooting. why you wonder why they have messed up shots. Yeah, I, yeah they they're shooting. The, I think they're doing um, everything incorrectly. I think that's really interesting what you say about the baskets because one thing, one thing I've learned relatively recently. So I I watch a lot of Euroleague uh, able body basketball, and mm -hmm. one thing that I think from an interview with Atore Messina maybe who said that mm -hmm. when he got over to the states, one thing he learned from like the high school level of basketball is that the kids don't play to a shot clock. Yeah, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. It it then that's interesting that they're prepared to take that away, but leave the baskets at the same height and whatever they are, because you then see, you know, these Europeans come over to the NBA and a lot of the American guys are like, they just have something in them. They all, they all kind of know how to play. And it's like, well, they've, yeah. they've, learned, they've learned good habits, right? Because it's been sure they've been playing to a 24 second clock and making quick decisions for, for mm -hmm. their entire lives, basically. Whereas you, this is where the thing you mentioned about these guys taking 9 million dribbles, Right. And it's, you know, it's the, the way people train and it's like funny, uh, you know, uh, you know, if kids all, all want to dribble and they don't go anywhere with the dribble, you know, I call it piss dribbles. They just stand there and, you know, you dribble in your piss all the time and they're not moving. I mean, it's like, you know, it's, it's just, uh, you know, go somewhere with it. And then, uh, you know, just a lot of, lot of bad, bad habits. And like I said, you know, kids, can't play without the basketball in their hand once you give the ball up it's like what do i do they have no idea what to do yeah so. i think that's a real thing as well like even if you're just talking about if you're working on someone's ability to shoot the ball from 15 feet just on a very practical level if you're throwing in 15 dribbles in between there you're taking like eight shots a minute when you could be taking a shot every four sure. seconds if it was yeah. like shot goes yeah. up pull the ball out of the ring kick it back to someone yeah. and it's like obviously if you're coaching someone to catch the ball, take two dribbles to get to a spot right. in particular, and then pull up from there. That's one thing, but people working on their handles, it's like, okay, work on your handles when you're working on your handles, but don't right. dribble when you're learning how to shoot. You know what I and, mean? Yeah. You know, what's funny. Uh, when I was uh, coaching, uh, I coached the girls over at uh, Ulster Poly, you know, when I was, I was playing in Belfast and, uh, you know, we had the gym like for two hours, like twice a week, sometimes three. And 
I would do, we would do all our ball handling like out in the hallway. Yeah. You know, cause when I, I had the gym, I, I wanted us to get shots up. Cause I mean, I could practice. We, we do defensive slides in the cafeteria. I can do that. But when I got the, when I had access to the baskets, guess what we were doing? Yeah. Shooting the ball. We were shooting, we were shooting the ball. We weren't going to be like doing 9 million dribbles and stuff. We were, you know, moving, cutting, passing, shooting the ball and like, and all that like ball handling, even some of the passing drills stationary, we would just be in the hallway passing the basketball. I wanted to utilize, you know, the court time as, as you know, you only have so, so many hours or so many minutes to use it. And I wanted to utilize it to its fullest extent of getting shots up. For sure. That's awesome. All right, Mark, should we move on to some NBA stuff? Yeah, or... let's, let's do it. All right. All right. So Mark, th- this first one's your question. If you want to, if yeah, you want to. Sure. Um, so this sure. was, you've obviously mentioned your stops you've um, taken around the NBA. And what I really wanted to know was, who, if anyone, you can point to individually, what's been the single biggest improvement from the point you started working with a player to when you, you know, either they moved on or you moved on or they no longer needed your help? Um, he always needed my help, but the biggest <laughs> improvement was Brendan Haywood. Um, he was he was like a, he was a foul shooter. He was like 51.3% foul shooter. So right. I got hired by the Wizards and... Uh, when I met him, I said, you're going to shoot 75% this year. He's like, well, I, I said, you should right now. You're fighting me already. I said, you should be like, give me a hug for crying out loud. I said, you're going to shoot. I said, I need you to trust me. And I said, if you fail, then I fail. So I said, I want you to forget everything you've ever learned. So we went through this whole mantra. His elbow stuck out really far. So we had lock, load, lift, switch. Lock. I mean, when I, so I'd say it every time he shot, I probably said it 10 million times. So, uh, we started working out, you know, I was going down to Charlotte because uh, it was funny. I got hired there. We had three players that lived in Charlotte. So I was going down to Charlotte quite a bit that summer. Uh, we had Darius Sangalia, who's uh, I think he's coaching with the uh, Spurs right now. And we had Antoine Jameson all lived in Charlotte. So uh, wasn't a, a, a far drive from uh, Washington down. So I spent a lot of time with those guys. And so I was charting Brendan shots. I knew he was improving. I didn't show him that, you know, by writing it down that he was improved, but you know, I, I had it all written down. And uh, so uh, we got it. I, we made a couple of little wagers. I said, every month that you don't shoot 75%, you got to buy me dinner every month that you shoot over 75 or 75 or better. I buy you. So we had a game on Halloween. That was the first game of October. And Brendan was four for six from the line. And, uh, <laughs> You know, he's, you know, it's, it's, hey, 66%. He's up, you know, 15 percentage points, right? I said, Brendan, you owe me dinner. He goes, it's one game. I said, it's one month. <laughs> I said, November's the next month. So I let him go on that. So, uh, you know, his confidence just soared. So uh, he ended up shooting 73.8%. He didn't quite get to 75, but that was huge. Yeah. yeah so, sure. so uh, you know, he's, he's with me and, uh, you know, I'm with him and I'm back down working with them and everything. And then uh, the second year, second season air on them with the Wizards, he broke his uh, wrist in training camp on his right hand. Nice. So he missed the whole season except for the last six games. And I said to him, I said, B. Wood, why are you playing the last six games? Because I don't want to go a whole summer not knowing that I'm, you know, whether I'm healed or not, you know. So uh, he played six games and ended up. The following year, um, 
Flip Saunders came in, you know, and they clean houses. A new coach comes in. They want usually mostly they want their own people. So uh, I was, uh, you know, let go. Uh, services no longer required. Whatever term. You got fired is what comes down. They just use different. We're going in a different direction. Just yeah. a nice way to say, you know. Whatever they say, you got to clean your office out. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. No, it's just a nice way of going about it, right? So, so anyway, uh, Brendan ends up going to the Dallas Mavericks. Yeah where he won a championship with uh, Jason Kidd and stuff. So anyway, he's in Dallas and he's struggling and uh, you know, he's like, uh, you know, you got to come out and you got to work with me. He goes, I'm out here. I'm all, uh, they got me all messed up here. And uh, they had a, a shooting coach at the time. I think his name was Gary Boren, but I guess, you know, like I said, you know, different players relate different with different coaches, you know, uh, but he just didn't, you know, for some reason they didn't click and, uh, he was shooting real bad. Now you're in the playoffs. Every game's on TV every night and everything. And Brennan's like, I'm sure. So I said, Brennan, I'll come out. But I said, I don't want to step on any anybody's toes because I've been on both sides where I've been an outsider working with, with players. And I've also been a coach where we've had outsiders come in. And a lot of people, sometimes they don't like that. So I said, you call Rick Carlisle. And if he says he's good with it, I'll come out and work with you. So Rick told him you could bring in a witch doctor and uh, he wouldn't have a problem with it. So, uh, you know, Brendan, uh, you know, on his own dime, uh, he flew me out, put me up and we started, you know, we started working out after practice at the facility. We'd go to the YMCA out there and uh, we were working during the playoffs. So, uh, you know, he was shooting really bad. He was like, like 20% in the playoffs, really terrible. So the first game he goes three for five, you know, and uh, my wife's like, oh, yeah, great job. You know, I said, well, he was at like 20 some percent. So then he went, uh, he, I think it was uh, four for six. And then he uh, he pulled a, a muscle and he was added. He didn't play the rest of the playoffs and stuff. But he continued bringing me down for his career. He'd bring me down to Charlotte in the summer, you know, to work with them because, you know, we had a good we had, you know, um, we worked well together. Plus he improved. So, I mean, you know, once you see improvement and everything is like, you know, it's an investment to his career and he ended up uh, signing for like, you know, $55 million and everything, but uh, he was the best, uh, you know, the most improve uh, improvement uh, in one season that I've had with a player. That's cool. Would you say, I know I've heard different things about NBA teams getting different amount of actual practice time. I know kind of shoot arounds are a little bit more consistent, but 82 games is a lot of games. And then when you get yeah. into the playoffs is the majority of the work that you would have done with guys preseason and then maintenance or what I wanted to know was like in a timeout, if someone's shooting badly, has anyone ever come to you in a game and been like, coach, what do you got? Or is the work done by then? Oh no. Guys will always, you know, I mean, it's, it's funny. Like I've been very fortunate with the teams I've worked with. Most of the players, have seen me at some point, you know, when they were kids. So I have sort of have like a respect factor because they've seen me like you saw me, James, at a clinic when they were younger. So yeah. like they'll come off, you know, what's wrong? Why, why do, you know, what am I doing wrong? They want like, you know, well, you know, you, you're, uh, you're, you're not shooting, you're not finishing high or you need to bend your legs. And I've been fortunate because I've had other coaches say, I don't want anyone else saying anything to them about the shot. There's nothing worse. You come off, Hey, you got to freeze your falter. You need more legs. Uh, your head's twisted. Like, Jesus, was that guy just hit me with three different things? Yeah. You know, three different coaches told me three different things. Like, so I was fortunate, you know, all the coaches said, like, just one voice and he's the shooting guy. It's on him. And that's the way I wanted it. And uh, 
so, you know, the guys, uh, you know, they were, uh, you know, receptive to me and everything. And, uh, you know, when I first got up to Toronto, uh, you know, my first full-time job, I did my lecture and I had, I had a perfect, uh, perfect lecture, you know, 45 minute lecture. And, uh, Rasho Nesterovich, he called me Paul Orndorff. Now, Paul Orndorff was a professional wrestler and his nickname was Mr. Perfect. So that's what, uh, he used to call me. And, uh, so the players up there, they were great. That was my first full-time job. We were like team Euro. We had, you know, Jose Calderon, Jorge Garbajosa, Rasho Nesterovich, we had Anthony Parker, who had played a number of years over in Israel. Yeah. Um, and we, we just had a Euro slow car, Pop Sal. We had we had a great group of guys, and uh, they were fun, fun to watch play, you know. And that was Andrea Bargnani's rookie year, who had a great rookie year and stuff, and Chris Bosch. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, they were, they were all receptive. And the same thing when I went to Washington uh, from uh, – Toronto, I went to Washington. I used to work Gilbert out when he was, you know, a younger kid when he was like 14. So he was excited that I went there. And he actually was one of the first like bloggers, you know, remember the big yeah, thing yeah. on yeah. website. And he actually wrote a blog about me, the man who made me not want to dunk anymore. And uh, <laughs> he wrote a huge thing. And then when I got there, he was so excited. But um, unfortunately, he got he was hurt a number of number most of the time when I was there. And uh, but uh you know, the players, uh, you know, the, the great ones are always looking to get better. You know, if I can do one thing and, uh, in the summer times, you know, I speak at camps and coach Calhoun used to coach at UConn who's retired now. Uh, when I would speak there, Ray Allen had a, uh, house up in Connecticut. He still does. He's actually coaching down in Miami at high school now, Gulliver's prep. I think he's coaching his kids, but if he was in Connecticut and I was speaking at UConn, there's 600 kids at the camp and, Ray Allen be sitting in the front row. And I'm like, Ray, what are you, what are you doing here? And he goes, see, you see me speak a number of times and I've worked you out for a number of years and stuff. And he's like, if I pick up one more thing, I might never miss. See, great ones always like look for one. Oh yeah. That, you know, light bulb goes off guys that can't shoot. You got to like do a whole psychological, you got to like, you got to build confidence and, and uh, tell them that they can shoot and so forth, you know, and, uh, they're, they're harder to work with than guys that, you know, are, are great shooters because great shooters are always looking for one more thing to do or great players for that matter. I mean, I remember, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar said the only player to ever ask him how to shoot the hook shot was Magic and Magic beat the Celtics with it in uh, the one uh, championship series. Sure. Yeah, man. That's nice. Um, I guess that this leads us on to, you mentioned the guys who always want to get better and are always driving at it. This is a question we came up with between the two of us, but have you had anybody who, with your guidance and you know all your knowledge on shooting specifically, have you had anybody who, for some reason, be it mental block or lack of willingness to put the hours in, have you had? Oh yeah, you just there's there's been there's been a number of them as well. You know, I mean, certain guys don't. You know, they're they're unreceptive to coaching, and uh, you know, when it first happened, you know, I just like. Uh, I'm like, you know, I, I felt like I failed, but then, uh, you know, it turned out that, you know, they put another coach with them. He wasn't listening to him and another coach. And it's like, you know, what's the common denominator? It's not the coach and it's the player. And it, like, you see it all the time in colleges, the kids transferred five times, like, okay, that's sort of a red flag. It's sort of not the coaches. And, uh, 
And I got a little away from the uh, thing, uh, the last question about, you know, during practice, during the season, we spend most of our time in the off season, you know, working with the players, trying to correct flaws during the season. Like I said, we have 82 games, so we don't do a lot, especially the guys that are playing major minutes. We don't kill them with like, you know, uh, all of the stuff we would do in the off season, but we still do. We fine tune it with, uh, we have a lot of, uh, non-movement shooting drills that we do they think called four pivots and then just spot shots and everything but the guys that aren't playing we still maintain they gotta you know maintain time uh like riding bikes they gotta you know keep their heart rate up at certain uh you know for so long and everything guys that aren't playing we can really push them hard but our major starters you know we'll, we'll just do mostly spot shooting and a lot of times uh you know like these four pivot stuff but uh during the off season you know we got full heart you know go at it hard yeah cool. um i guess off the back of that we both agreed that there was one guy we had to ask you about i don't know if you've ever had any involvement with him but from your vantage point of knowing all there is to know about shooting what on earth is the deal with Ben Simmons? Oh my goodness! Kidding with her own hand. I wish I knew that. Um, actually, uh, I had a friend of mine who's actually an assistant with the Sixers, and uh, I contacted him a couple years ago and said, "You know, you got to get me with Ben Simmons." And he said, "He goes, we would love to get you to Ben Simmons." He goes, "I've talked to Doc about it. Doc would love to get you to Ben Simmons, but uh, nobody on the team works with Ben Simmons. He has his own." team Simmons surrounding him. He's very insulated. And I guess his brother's his shooting coach. That's not worked out too well for him. Um, and now he's, uh, now he's in uh, Brooklyn and they got Kyle Corver. And I just saw a video the other day. He was doing one hand form shooting with Ben. And I mean, his freaking elbows all out. And like, I'm like, what? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what is going on with him? I mean, he's, he's multi-talented, but, you know, mentally uh, shot out. And actually, they're playing tomorrow in Philadelphia. And apparently, Ben's not playing, but he's no. going to be on the bench. That's going to be an interesting thing. Philly fans are, you know, they, they threw snowballs at Santa Claus in the, during the football season. So, <laughs> yeah, they, they're uh, – <laughs> They're a little wild. This city of brotherly love isn't so brotherly when that when they turn against you. But uh, you know, and you know, the thing is, like, you know, Ben is reluctant to shoot the ball. I mean, I mean, like, and it's so funny how players you like, you know, I don't know if you remember Nick Anderson, he missed four free throws in the uh playoffs against the Chicago Bulls. He he never was the same player, he was more of a slasher, and then he was afraid to to go to the basket anymore because psychologically he didn't want to go to that free throw line, you know, yeah. where, you know, now you got to think about it and guys get so screwed up. And even in baseball, uh, there's been a few baseball players like Chuck Knobloch was a second baseman and you know, it's the shortest throw from second base to first base. All of a sudden he couldn't make the throw anymore. They had, a, they put him out in the outfield. Like he had like hitches in his arm. It's like, I don't know what happens, you know, or what the terminology would be on that, but, uh, you know, probably need a, a psychiatrist or psychologist to work with them. But, uh, you know, he's just the real And then the thing is, I don't know, you know, how much he works on his game. I mean, it's, uh, you know, he's got, like I said, he's, you know, got all that uh, God-given talent and ability. And then it's, it's like, you know, it's really a waste when he's not utilized and putting the time in. And I don't know if he really loves the game. I mean, you know, it's uh, – yeah, this this was I, I'm plugging myself here, but 
Ben Simmons is a is a subject of endless fascination to me. I, when the whole him sitting out the season thing kind of kicked off, I wrote a blog post about it because I, from my playing days, had a lot of struggles with my own shooting confidence and, and all this stuff. And I kind of saw a lot of what he was, what I thought was going on behind the scenes. But mm-hmm. I think, yeah, he's just ultimately he's got as much talent as you have and i think people stay bought in on him because on some level people don't want to admit that a guy who doesn't work on his game is capable of rolling out of bed and averaging a near triple double in the nba i think some people don't want to accept that possibly right Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah he's just i mean we we could talk about ben simmons all day because it's right like like nothing else on earth yeah, he's a he's a big uh, subject right now. This morning when I was heading to the gym, uh, you know, they were talking about him on uh, NBA radio and everything about you know now his back sore, so forth again. And from, from get from getting all his shooting reps in, right? Yeah, yeah, it's like getting on a plane nine months. Like they're like he's hurt. I mean, like um, it's uh, what so he needs it, to do is it, fire it, his brother slash shooting coach, and he needs like a bat signal that calls you to his house. Yeah, right. That would that would be it. So if you can, if you can, Mark, can you uh, send me that blog? I'd like to read that. Yeah, or, yeah, of course, no that, problem. I would um, love love to read that. Uh, I think yeah. I think that the fascination is potentially a lot of why he plays the way he does is maybe because he was 6'10 in high school and could get to the basket whenever he yeah. wants. But the problem is now he's such a bad free throw shooter that he doesn't want to go to the basket anymore. Right. He averaged two shot attempts per game in the playoff series that they got put out last year. And it's not even, yeah. it's not how many he's not making. It's you're not even going to the cup anymore as a six yeah. foot ten point guard. Like that's well, like he had, a he had whole could have dunked that one with yeah. uh, was and they threw it the Thibel, who's not a shooter. I mean, it's <laughs> like you, but his like usage rate in the fourth quarter is like, you know, during the regular season is like 240th in the league. Yeah, it's like one of the worst fourth quarter usages. Like he doesn't even like look to do anything in the fourth quarter. No, it's it's a real. They, you know, they, you know, they were like taking him out. Uh, you know, doing the hack of Simmons and uh, was it the Atlantic Atlanta series and stuff. Yeah, well, just, uh, well we're, we're going to get a Brooklyn and Philly um, playoff series this year, I think. Oh, <laughs> I need hack. I need hack a Ben, and I need to see if Doc can keep a straight face. That's you all know, I need. You know, it'll be funny. It might become a free throw contest because Andre Drummond's with the oh. is with the Nets now, so it could be. Uh, you know what? You foul him. I'll foul him. That'll be. Oh uh, no! No one wants to watch real, that. that. Could be real ugly. <laughs> right. Um, oh, okay. So we're, we've got a few listener questions which we're going to get to to sure. to end up. But before we do, you've obviously worked. You've mentioned some of the guys you've worked with. Can you give us one superstar player story that you know maybe isn't out in the public ether? You you've told me two Kobe Bryant stories, I think, mm-hmm. over the years that are both absolutely incredible. If you can, if you could let us have a uh, have 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 one of those, I don't know which two they are, but I I have one. The first time that I I worked them out, uh, I was with his agent Arn Tellum and uh, two of my buddies, uh, David Dana Pump, who used to run the West Coast All Star Camp, and any great player out on the West Coast used to attend his camp. I mean, at Baron Davis, Tyson Chandler, Keith Van Horn, Jamal Crawford, Chase, going way back. I mean, all, all the great players, Paul Pierce, 
all the great players in the West Coast would go to their camp. So uh, we're working out at uh, Cal State uh, Northridge out in California. And it's uh, Kobe and I uh, finished the workout and uh, we're going to go get a bite to eat. So Arn Tellum's sitting in the front seat. Kobe's in the back and David Dane are going to meet us over at uh, he wanted to go to Boston market, Kobe, you know, he's 17. So he wanted to go to Boston market beach. So we get in the car and I'm driving and Kobe's in the back, back seat. He's got street and Smith's basketball yearbook magazine. Now everything's on, you know, being on, on an iPad or something, but he had the magazine and he's going through, he had like a hit list. He's like Atlanta. Oh, I'm better than him. Two years from now, I'll kill this dude, man. Oh, this guy's garbage. Let me out. Boom. Turns the page. Boston. Oh, this guy's trash, man. I'll get. He had like a hit list. He was going through like every team. He's 17 years old. I'm like, this dude is like unbelievable. I mean, and, you know, sure enough, he, uh, and I, I told Darn, I told his agent, I said, I said, he's not ready for the NBA. I thought he should have went to college and, you know, he struggled. And there's just the opposite of the tough mental toughness. He shot four air balls yeah. in the Western Conference Finals against the Utah Jazz. Never phased that kid one bit. Yeah, he it didn't yeah. stop him from shooting it, you know, because he knew he did the work. He put the time in. It just happened, you know. It you know happened. Um, That's and, yeah, uh, he learned. Just to just to clarify on, on the people he was striking off his hit list. Were these guys actually bad or were they good players that he was better than anyway? They weren't bad. I mean, you know, if you're in the NBA, you're not a bad player. I mean, yeah. let's, let's get that straight. I mean, there's there's been videotape, you know, uh, people like Scalabrini's, like Brian Scalabrini, the white bomba. Yep. You know, there's people like, oh, you're trash. And like, they, they, they oh, actually, yeah. I can kick you. But he's 40, playing, like he's 40 years old now. And he played a guy, beat him like 15 to 1. You know, and he's 40 now. Like, you know, and this kid's like, you know, thought that, oh, you you, you sucked as an NBA player. He goes, yeah, I might have, but I still can kick your, you know, at, at at 40 years old. I mean, people don't realize how good these players are. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. No. They might the guys that like bombed out of the league after one year who are like the best player you'd ever see in person uh -huh. in your life. If you happen to go to a Euro league game, it's yeah. incredible. But it's, it's uh, you know, the thing is like, this past year, you know, with the whole COVID situation, there's been a ton of players that have come up, you know, for a 10 day or, or everything because you know, the whole COVID, but, you know, you look at uh, a lot of players, like you look at rosters, there's a number of players that haven't been drafted or second round picks and stuff, you know, and there's a lot of number one picks, first round picks, not in the league anymore. I mean, Chris Dunn sat at a league. Um, what's his name? Don't, uh, don't Dante Bennett, whatever you do. Oh, Anthony, she's yeah. forgot about it. He was the number first pick of the draft. That was a shocker when that happened. I was with the Knicks and we were like, who? Who? Number <laughs> one? We're like, wow. We we thought we're like, we're all like, did Anthony Bennett? I was like, you know, it was crazy. Yeah. But uh, six foot eight and could move. People fall in yeah. love with it. So yeah. Six foot eight and could move so much that I think he recently got cut from his team in Israel. So yeah, yeah. there you go. Um, right. Shall we do listener questions before we wrap up? Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. Just a little bit more of your time, coach. Uh, no problem at all. No problem. We have a couple of questions here yeah. from a handful of wheelchair basketball players from around the globe. Okay. Uh, first question is from um, USA women's player uh, Rose Hollerman, also plays out here in Spain. She was my teammate for two years. 
one of the one of the best shooters I've ever seen. She asks, "What is your ideal shooting weight for an athlete's improvement?" What was that again? What, what was your, what would your ideal shooting week for an athlete's improvement look like in terms of time, reps, how many times a week, how many days? Um, I try to shoot every day, um, and I record my shots. And like at at my stage now, like I do, I want to make twenty five in a row from each spot. Now, if I make twenty five in a row, I just streak it out. The streak could go to fifty two, whatever. And maybe I go to the next spot and I make three, 20 and eight. I don't kill myself about, I didn't get my 25 or I just go to the next spot. But by tracking my shots, I just want to get better every time I step on the floor, you know, one, one shot better, maybe one more. And then I do, I do some drills that are timed and then I just want to improve my time. But now at, at my age, you know, my times are slipping at 64. I'm like, I got to like scale back to the senior, uh, this, the senior time with it or something. But yeah. each time, like I said, uh, you know, and every day by keeping track of my shots, every day I go to the gym, I'm excited about it because it might be the day, you know, where I break my record for, you know, most free throws in a row or most three pointers. So I'm excited every day I go in the gym, but I don't beat myself up. Like if I don't like get my 25 in a row on a certain drill and everything, but, uh, you know what? I had a phone app that I did years ago. Uh, kids want to know what I, what was my workout like? Well, I used to do a 500 make workout, you know, in the off season and the kids complain, well, it takes too long. It's just, it's that like, you know, you asked me what I did when I was a kid, it took me a long time. Like say maybe the first time I did, you know, when I was 16, it probably took me 750 shots maybe to make 500, you know, then by the end of the summer, it was like 700 shots. And then the next year I'm down to 600, you know, now I can do, you know, make 500 shots with, you know, less than, uh, you know, 30 misses, you know what I mean? So it's like, you know, how good or how great you want to become, it's entirely up to you, but just want to get little increment improvements. Everybody thinks you're going to jump 10 percentage points overnight. It doesn't work that way. Sure. Cool. Um, and up next from that, this is from Matt Wild, who has asked, what do you think the importance is in training shooting with both hands? Um, I think, you know, you have to be able to finish around the basket with both hands, but you don't see anybody that's a great shooter with the right hand, except Larry Bird when he played the fourth quarter against Portland. He lit fun. him up. But, but it's so hard to perfect just being able to shoot with one hand. I mean, and so, like, if I'm going to shoot, say – 500 shots with my right and 500 my left just think how much better i'd be if i just concentrated on that one that one hand sure. but like i said around the basket you have to be able to finish you know with either hand but you don't see guys like coming down okay i'm gonna shoot this one left-handed from 30 feet next one i'm gonna shoot right-handed so you know figure out what hand like tristan thompson they switched over <laughs> I, did, did you see the video speak oh now you, oh my did well, you see his video he, he's an exception right because he can't shoot with either so no yeah that's great they just showed him doing jump hooks. Yeah, from, I saw. Like, did you oh, see? Yeah. And they kept Rest. putting a meme of the bricks. I'm like, oh my god. Then he showed him at the line. Yeah. So uh, I'm sorry I got off. But uh, <laughs> you know, just you know, and they're saying Ben Simmons should probably shoot right-handed. There's been talk about that. So yeah, there's a there's an NBA journalist, Kevin O'Connor, who is convinced mm -hmm. he shoots with the wrong hand. And he's yeah. gone as far as there's videos of him 
catching a like swatting at a fly that goes past right view with his yeah. right hand and he's like right. see he's, he's instinctually right-handed <laughs> there might be something to do with okay just tear it down and start again but right. that's tough when you're 25 and you're already making 35 mil a year it's probably yeah. hard to yeah. tell him what to do he's making at whether he makes a shot or misses a shot so. yeah he's good whether he plays or not <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> yeah nice gig if you can get it right and how about he, john he Wall getting play. that money when he do, when he does play, he's making that whether he declines to shoot entirely, never mind yeah. whether he makes or misses. Yeah. yeah, and John Wall getting paid a ton of money, not doing anything. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's they asked him not to play. He's yeah, the dream. I, I'd take that job if if my job told me I didn't have to turn up and I, they'd pay me anyway. I'd be fine. Right. I actually think he should get paid some amount because he still has to travel and watch that Houston team every night. <laughs> yeah, Fifteen wins all year, man. Yeah, that's uh, that should be something, uh, some psychological pay or something. Yeah, yeah. Compensation. All right. Yeah. Next question we got is from an ex-teammate of mine, Mendel. He said, "Do you think there would be a large difference in an ideal form for an able-bodied shooting form compared to a wheelchair shooting form?" I don't know. That might be a weird one for you to answer, but yeah, uh, you know, like I, yeah, I think the main thing, no matter you know, whether you're shooting from a wheelchair or you know, uh, you know, shooting a jump shot or whatever set shot, is that your elbow keeps the ball straight. Like, I mean, even if like if I was in this position here and say the baskets, I still can make that shot because my elbow's straight. Now, yeah. if I can get myself squared up like with the wheelchair or my body on a catch and shoot. I'm going to be much better because my core, my chest is facing a target, but you see guys make jump shots, you know, with their chest facing the sideline, but that elbow is underneath the ball in a straight line to the target. I always say the elbow, you know, keeps the basketball straight. It's hard to do anything. If your elbow's sticking out to get the ball straight. Sure. Sure. That's one thing that always blew my mind when you saw the likes of JJ Redick or Kyle Cover sprinting off screens. They're like mm -hmm. sprinting off like double pin downs and stuff. Right. And they're able to pivot in yep. midair. They're moving sidewards, but as long as everything's sure. lined up, they're good. Yeah. No, it is. And I mean, uh, you know, like said, moving without the basketball, there's actually a clip uh, just shown the other day. It showed Duncan Robinson oh. and uh, Contavious Colwell Pope was guarding him and he caught the ball in the corner and he, gave a shot fake one dribble passed and it was almost like they were playing tag because he was cutting and yeah. and then finally he got Pope to turn completely around he came off a, a, a screen from Bam Adebayo one dribble jump shot he probably took two dribbles during that sequence and probably total probably ran like 30 yards to you know all the movement he was doing without the basketball and stuff and I always I posted and then I just just posted some stuff on Twitter the other day with uh masterclass reggie miller moving without the basketball because kids nowadays they don't know how to read screens to come off screens because everything is done training with the basketball like you know they do nine million guess what you're not that guy like i said earlier you got to learn you know what do you do when you don't have the ball do you screen do you come off a screen no they stand there and look like uh well what am i going to do so yeah all right and mark you want to hit last question yeah the last one so this is also from mandel and He's asked, why doesn't every player in the NBA shoot at least 75% on free throws given their number of practice hours and reps? You know, that is a great question, and it's been going on. Free throws are one thing that hasn't, like, improved over, like, you know, it's basically always the same, like, every year. 
And, uh, you know, it's like, it's the same distance. You have 10 seconds. It's the same distance from your little kid. And I tell people this, I, I say, you know how, do you know how far it is? It's 15 feet. That's to the backboard. You don't bank it. Well, so you shouldn't bank it. And I shouldn't say that, but, but anyway, so I said, let's do some math. I said, you know, it's like going to be like a 10 foot shot for you. If you're seven foot tall. So from the back of the rim to the backboard, you ever see that little place? Sometimes the ball sits up there like yeah. one. every. That's six inches. Okay. So I said, now we're at 14 and a half feet from the back of the rim to the front of the rim is 18 inches or a foot and a half. I said, so now what are we at? We're at 13 feet. Now, I, my arm goes over the line when I extend. And the ball, we'll just for simplicity's sake, we'll say the ball is six inches, although it's bigger, but we'll just keep it at six inches. Yeah. So now it's, it's 12 and a half feet, and my arm can go over the line. Now, my arm from my fingertips to my shoulders, another three feet. It ends up like the 10-foot shot, I tell them, you know. <laughs> and you, you have 10 seconds. You can't – I mean, it's, it's just amazing. And uh, people don't think it's important. I mean – you know, like players, like uh, coaches will say, okay, you know, we'll shoot, you know, 10 at the end of practice or something. I mean, you know, I used to like, you know, make the hundred before, you know, it takes you 20 minutes if you're a good shooter and stuff and you spend your time chasing the ball. But, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, not a point of emphasis, but whenever a coach loses a game by one point, that's the first thing they look at. What do we shoot at the line? Then they look at, you know, naturally turnovers and rebounding margin. But any level, whether it's high school, junior high, college, professional, you lose a game by one point. That's the first thing you look at. And it's not glorified. I mean, I made it. I made a thing this year. Atlanta played Washington and both they made they made uh, 40. Both teams made every free throw. I said, no, it wasn't on any sports center, nothing, you know, <laughs> even on the ticker, like down below. I said, that's probably the first time in the history of the NBA that's happened. Yeah. But there's not, not a mention of it because it's, you know. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. I'd, never, I'd never thought of that, actually. But, yeah, I think just to say about you not being glorified, I don't know what your experience is like, but so much time that's spent scrimmaging, you know, if there's a shooting foul, it's re- almost rarely a, a lineup for two free throws. It's like, right. No, it's like take it's it out, take it on the side. Exactly, yeah. Exactly yeah. Right. That's what we do at our, at our at our club right now, which is cool. Like we'll scrimmage and we'll actually count team files, which is like one, you learn when you can give one and when you can't. And two, you get to send people to the line. So you learn the importance of not filing shooters and also making a free throws. Right. Like yeah. it's actually like the amount of, that's just another game practice that isn't, isn't realistic and doesn't help one, you. One of the things uh, we used to do when I was in Toronto uh, we had like a big screen We behind one of the things we had like the crowd, you know, with the, the noise sticks yeah. and stuff. And we would have the guys like shoot at that, just trying to simulate, you know, what, what a game situation instead of just being in an empty gym and so forth, you know? Awesome. Um, All right. That's everything from us. Do you, before we let you get out of here, do you have anything you're working on that you want to plug? Do you want to tell people where to find you if they, need your wisdom anything like that? yeah um yeah actually i, I just uh, started a thing a uh, program called the shooters club uh dave poplar fix your shot uh you know and uh it's where kids uh send in their videos and, and i analyze and give them feedback and then we progress you know what's what your next steps are and so forth um and then uh, you know uh i'm not the, i'm the worst like with social media so uh 
you know, it's like I tell people, yeah, I said, I got it all. I'm on facelift. I'm on snapped cyber chat, LinkedIn, Insta leader, you know, uh, tic tacs and uh, all that. <laughs> I mean, so I many, that's why I said, James, that's why I sent you. I said, I don't know where you contacted me. I I'm like, going, which one was it? I'm like, I, I couldn't keep track when I, that's why I hit you back on the email. Yeah, like, of course. Oh, he hit, which one was it on? I'm going through all that stuff. It's just overwhelming for, you know, but I, like I said, I didn't grow up with that stuff. I mean, it's, um, yeah, you know, prob- prob- probably a lot better off without it. I think. Yeah, no, I, sure. I say that I call a phone like the devil's device. I used to get all my messages before. And it's like now I, I my daughter, I tell her, so when's the last time you used your phone to make a phone call? I mean, everything, it's like <laughs> nobody like doing everything. But I really appreciate you guys having me on there. And uh, Mark, I hope you have a, a safe trip to uh, the States and uh, you have a, a a great game that you watch and not a 30 point blowout or something. Cause there's been quite a few of them lately and they're, they're tough oh, yeah. to watch. Yeah. So hopefully they, uh, they well, get it down. It'll close. be, it'll be fine. I actually booked the game when the wizards were like 10 and three and the warriors. Oh yeah. They started the season. We're, we're yeah. kicking everybody's ass. And now the warriors yeah. don't have Draymond and they're terrible. And the wizards don't have Beal or anyone else. And they're terrible. Yeah. So it should be, it yeah. should be a scrap at least. So yeah. that's, but hey, it's, it'll be, it'll be a good time. I'm sure, you know? Cool. Well, thank All you right, very well. much for joining us, man. We, we really appreciate this. And I'm sure I appreciate it. Anytime there guys. I, thanks for having me. No worries. Yes, sir. All, All right. right. Thank you for listening. And yeah, we'll catch you guys soon. Peace out. All right.